We're still in the We Believe series, the Apostles' Creed. The line for this weekend is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I am so excited to talk to you guys about the Holy Spirit. I love him. He is the coolest. Um, one thing I want to make a, a note about the creed is the creed's actually broken into three sections. You guys may have noticed that the first section we talked about the Father, the first few sermons, and the next thing we talked about the Son. And then the last part, which Craig actually explained to me because I didn't know, but there's the first line that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and then all the following lines after that are actually a description of the ministry of the Holy Spirit on earth. And I think that's super cool. And so that's just bear that in mind over the next few weeks as we talk about those things, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting just bear that in mind that those when the apostles wrote that wrote that part it was in it was in light of that being a part of the holy spirit's ministry that's not what i'm talking about today but i just wanted to say bear that in mind over the next few weeks okay cool so this uh for this morning uh the the message is called i'm right here i'm right here this is about the presence the 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 operation um the um the imminence if you will of the holy spirit today right here <clears throat> we're going to start with scripture sermons should probably start with scripture huh um if you guys would turn with me to john 14 15 through 17 uh if you don't have your bibles that's okay no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus the scripture is behind me if you love me you will keep my commandments and i will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit capital s of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But listen here. That's not in scripture. I, I added that. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Dwells with you and will be in you. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We love how you do things. You do things so much better than we do them. Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way. We know that you're already here, God, but we don't want to do anything that would inhibit your will from being done in this place this morning. We welcome you to speak, and we pray that you would soften our hearts and open our spiritual ears to listen to what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was, I was, I was um, preparing for this message. Uh, Connor, you guys know Connor? Connor, he's, what a stud of a guy, and good looking too. So good looking, I just, um, anyway. He let me borrow this book um, called More. It's a book about the Holy Spirit, and it's by a guy named Simon Ponsonby. So I'm just going to call him Simon because Ponsonby is not fun to say. But he, so he, he's got this book called More. It's about the Holy Spirit, and he, and, he, and he opens the book up with this introduction. He's telling a story about this time when he was on a vacation with his family, and they were in this place that had this pond, right? Like one of those vacation rentals or something with this pond, and it had all these beautiful fish, these big, beautiful fish, and he's looking at it, and he's enjoying it, you know, that time of rest with his family, looking at the fish, it's so peaceful. But then all of a sudden, he sees this big, what he describes as this big, beautiful carp. I've never seen an attractive-looking carp fish before, but this beautiful, big carp that's kind of washed up in the shallows, in, in the mud, and, and, the, and the fish is suffocating. And he's like, oh, no, I mean... I don't want this fish to die. He's big, he's old, and he, this, what, what a cruddy way for him to go out. So he goes up and he starts sprinkling a little water on the fish. And, and the fish, temporarily, temporarily at least, uh, begins to recover. But then he can tell that the fish is suffocating again when the water dries out. So next, he grabs a stick and starts pushing the fish. But he describes this fish as a very big fish, and so his stick just wasn't going to get the job done. So he goes to a nearby trash can. He takes the lid off. 
And his family's watching him, you know, cheering him on. He's the hero, the fish saver. And he goes and he takes the lid of this trash can and he, and he scoops up the big fish and he throws him into the deep end. And for a minute, the fish lays there, lays there, I mean, floats there in the water, kind of lifeless. And they're waiting in anticipation, hoping that the fish is not dead. And then all of a sudden, the fish reanimates and then swims into the deep end and it disappears. Now, in and of itself, that's a nice story. It's a fun little, good job, Simon. You did, you did well. But the beautiful thing is that Simon recalls that the Lord spoke to him that day and gave him a revelation from this experience. And this is what he quoted, what he heard the Lord say. Please listen closely. I think it's going to be behind me too. The church is like that carp. Mature, distinguished, and impressive. She has lived long, fought hard, and eaten well. But she has left or been lured out of the deep waters. And here she is, stuck in the mud and suffocating Occasional momentary relief from the odd spiritual watering cannot save her. Her only hope is to get back to deep water. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, was quoted saying, Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. Listen to this last sentence. This, this rocked me from Billy Graham. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with thought. That's the most desperate need, Billy Graham said. I usually like to begin, whenever I get the opportunity to speak, I like to start with a funny story. Um, maybe because I feel like it, it, it breaks the ice a little bit and maybe makes me more likable. And it's like, okay, you'll listen to me when I'm saying the more serious and heavy things. If I've already made you laugh, I want to apologize to you in advance. I don't have a funny story for you guys this morning. Um, so if the ice is not thoroughly broken, please forgive me and just... Just believe it's broken. The ice is broken. In Jesus' name, the ice is broken and we are ready to receive. No, I believe the Lord would have us jump straight into deep water this morning. And the question that I think that, um, that I would like to ask and what I hope that we can answer by the end of this, our time together this morning is this. Why is it so important to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why, going along with that question, why did Jesus tell the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit before beginning their ministry on earth? So just think about that. Why? Why is that so important? And I believe that God drops in my heart kind of a four-part answer for this weekend. The first answer is, it's kind of a standalone, and if I didn't have any other answer, this would be, but it's because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. More specifically, or accurately, you could say, he is a member of the triune God. He is one with the Father and the Son, yet distinguished with his own personality. Personality, Seth, why do you use the term personality? Well, because scripture shows us his will, his emotions, and his mind. In Romans 8, 27, it says, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit, capital S, because the capital S spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. His will, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. His emotions, Ephesians 4, 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. One thing that we have to get away from as the church is this idea that the Holy Spirit is this ethereal force that is just kind of thrown around by the Father and the Son are much less people. The Holy Spirit is personal. He thinks, he feels, and he desires. 
and we should treat him as such. So why is this so important, Seth, that why, why, would you, why would one of your answers be that he is God, and that's the reason why we should be filled with him? Well, because God has made a way. I find it so interesting. God has made a way that he might dwell. He himself, we're talking about God. We're talking about the creator of the universe. He himself might dwell inside of us, and he who dwells inside of us the Bible says, is the Holy Spirit. And isn't it odd that the majority of our language that we use when communicating with God, now, biblical, yes, to say Father, good. I'm glad that we talk to the Father. Biblical, yes, to say Jesus. I'm glad we talk to Jesus. Those are both good things. I'm not putting those things down at all. We should talk to the Father. We should talk to Jesus all the time. But I find it a little bit strange that we are the most silent to the one who is closest to us. We're the most silent. We speak the least to the very one that God, is, that God says dwells in us. And I believe that the Holy Spirit would challenge us today, kind of like, hey, I'm right here. And he would have that changed in the church. Amen. The second reason is that he is our parakletos. Parakletos. This is a Greek word um, that Jesus uses in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 when he's describing the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm gonna use these three verses. I'm gonna say them. I'm gonna, and they're, they're probably gonna be familiar to you, except instead of using the word that is familiar to you, I'm gonna say parakletos, because that's the original language. So, John 14, 16 says, this stuff isn't gonna be behind me because I don't really wanna explain it. It was, it was gonna be complicated to have it say parakletos behind me, and then I went, but never mind. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another parakletos to be with you forever. John 15, 26. But when the parakletos comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, 7. Now, John 16, 7 it is very interesting to me. Now, listen to the language that, that Jesus uses. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Are you sure, Jesus? Are you sure that it's to our advantage that you go away? But Jesus was sure. Jesus knew what he was saying. For if I do not go away, the parakletos will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, parakletos, I love this word. I think it's incredibly beautiful. It's this compound word made up of the Greek word para, which means from close beside, and kaleo, which means to make a call. So if you were to just smush them together and not really take anything else into account, it would be from close to side, from to make a call from close beside. To make a call from close beside. That's what that word means. Now the proper de definition is they would understand it in their culture would be a legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because he or she is close enough to the situation. Now you say, Seth, legal advocate, what does it have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know, ask Jesus. Because the word parakletos, the word that he used to describe the Holy Spirit was the common word in their culture for attorney or lawyer. Have we ever thought about the Holy Spirit that way? Now, the, word that we, the words that we would be more comfortable with and go, oh, yes, now I remember the scripture, Seth, would be advocate, comforter, helper, or intercessor. And yes, the Holy Spirit is all those things. And parakletos truly is all of those things. But I think sometimes, many times, it's so important to go back to the original language in which this was written, in which it was spoken, because these languages, especially Hebrew, if you think about the language of Hebrew, it is created in light of Yahweh. Think of a language that is created with God at the center of it. It's so important that we go back to these languages because there, was the, there were these common understandings for words that were used that sometimes in English we're so limited by. In this role of parakletos, the Holy Spirit is the means of our new birth when we are born again. 
In John 3, 5 through 6, it says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit, capital S, is spirit. Once we are born again, the Holy Spirit, he then bears witness to our sonship. Romans 8, 15 through 16 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the capital S, spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The capital S, spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Parakletos. He is close enough that we might be born again of him. He is close enough that he might bear witness of our sonship. And he is close enough to make the right call about you and about me. The third reason, the Holy Spirit is our teacher and our guide. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then a couple chapters later, John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, there are a lot of areas in which the Holy Spirit guides us and teaches us in life, but I feel like God revealed three to me this And I think the reason why he would reveal these three is because these are three that so often we try to do in the flesh and they were just never meant to be done that way. They were never meant to be done without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And those three things are the interpretation of Scripture, the making of important decisions, and the having, as it were, of difficult conversations. And the reason why I bring these, these three up is because I know the truth. I know what the Word says about the Holy Spirit teaching me and guiding me. I get that. Yes, Holy Spirit, you're guiding me. You're teaching me. I'm so thankful for that. That's so good. But then I find myself going to Scripture and just going, oh, I just want to get this. Just brain. Just get this. Just logic. Just reason. Just. And I know that he guides me in difficult decisions. I know I can turn to him and ask him what the right decision is, but I find myself making pros and cons lists and going, oh, I have to come to the best logical conclusion that's going to be the best for my family. And then five years and 10 years, I got to make sure it's all going to be according to the plan. And I know that he's there to help me in having difficult conversations when I need to tell someone I'm offended with, do you know, I need to Matthew 18 somebody or, or, or I, I need to, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know he's there to guide me in those situations, but I find myself rehearsing, okay, I'll say this and this and this and this, and then when they say that, because I know they're going to say that because I know their heart, then they're going to respond this way, and then... And in each of these three situations, I just know, I can just see him. I can just see him, almost with a little bit of a smirk, the Holy Spirit going, just ask me. I don't know if you know, but I have the answers that you're looking for. The fourth reason that I believe it's so important to be filled with the Holy Spirit is get this. Oh, you got to get this. You got to write this down. The Holy Spirit is the catalyst of the church. What do you mean, Seth? Well, catalyst, if you know in chemistry, it's the thing that you add at the end to make it go boom. Right? It's that thing you add and it makes whatever's supposed to happen, happen. It's like, whoa, you know, enough. At first you have all the other ingredients and you're just sitting there and it's just like, wow, chemistry is boring. But then you throw the catalyst and it's like, poof, and it's like, okay, wow, this might be worth studying. I still, I still can't stand chemistry, but in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gives his final instruction to the disciples before ascending into heaven. 
here. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but listen to this language, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Okay, Jesus. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, at, this is just like the disciples. They always want to know more, and, and they always want answers to things that Jesus is like, that's not for you. Come on, guys. You're missing the point. I'm telling you about the Holy Spirit, and you ask me when, when I'm going to come back. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But, here comes the good news, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then, in Acts 2, we see the fulfillment of these words. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, capital S, gave them utterance. And then a few verses later, we see that Peter goes and preaches, and we find out that this isn't just a confirmation of Jesus' words from the chapter before, but this is a confirmation of Joel's prophecy from hundreds and hundreds of years before. Historians believe possibly 800 years before, and this is what it said. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, for the believers in this room, and when I say believers, for those of you who maybe don't understand what I mean, is that you believe upon Jesus, but we say believers because it's a lot quicker than for me to say. For those of you who believe upon Jesus in this room, you're probably familiar with, the, with Acts 1, where Jesus gives that final instruction, you'll go and you'll be my witnesses, and we, we got that, Judea, Samaria, okay? We're familiar. Acts 2, we're familiar with that really, you know, whoa, Pentecost, how the, the, the wind comes in, and it's like, whoa, that's a, that is a crazy scripture. And, we're, and maybe some of us are familiar with that language from Joel where it says, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's, that just sounds so good. But I, I recognize that we're probably familiar with those three scriptures. But do we understand, the reason why I'm asking this is because I didn't get it. This week, it just went, it hit me. I didn't get it that this indeed, this coming of the Holy Spirit is the birthing of the New Testament church. Jesus told the disciples to wait because he knew that when the Holy Spirit came, that they would be empowered to be his witnesses, that they would be empowered to preach the gospel, that they would be empowered to make disciples in all the nations. They knew, he knew that they couldn't fulfill the commands that he had given them without this power. Jesus told them to wait because he knew that the Holy Spirit was going to bear fruit in them that was going to make them like Jesus himself. Here from Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I love this, script, this sentence. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. He told them to wait because he knew that the Holy Spirit was a gift to them, but not only a gift in and of himself, but a gift bearing gifts. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Them all in everyone. Hmm. Not just in the New Testament times. Not just the disciples. 
You mean the gifts are for today? I don't know, ask Paul. Yes, the gifts are for today. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith. Did you guys know that faith is a spiritual gift? Don't belittle faith in this place. Don't think it's a lesser thing. Faith is a spiritual gift. By the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. We call it discernment. To another, various kinds of tongues. Does that make you uncomfortable? <laughs> Tongues. That's the word of God, just so you know. You guys can. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. To another, the, in uh -oh, the interpretation of tongues. So spooky. No, not spooky at all. Just what Paul was saying. This is regular Christianity, folks. The gifts of the Spirit is regular, everyday Christianity. This isn't for some elite. It's not for some special people that's like, oh, we have the gifts and those other, other people don't. Jesus meant for all of you to have the gifts. That's why I sent the Holy Spirit for you. Jesus told the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit because he knew that when the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them, that they would become unstoppable. Worship team, come back up. Worship team, come on. Everybody. Let me ask you this question as the worship team is coming back up. Have you become unstoppable? Have you become unstoppable? Hmm. Are you a powerful witness for Christ? Do you act like Jesus? Do you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Now, please understand, I'm not asking those questions to beat you up because I had asked myself those same questions this week and I wasn't too proud of my answers. I'll be honest with you. And if you're anything like me, it's hard to give 100% yes or 100% no to those questions. Am I unstoppable? Well, I don't know, sometimes I feel pretty, pretty tough. Are you a powerful witness for Christ? I don't know. One time I was bold enough and I said, I said hi to someone and um, I smiled and well, I didn't say anything about Jesus, but I could tell they saw Jesus in me. Do you act like Jesus? Well, I'm working on my testimony. Do you operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I had to answer these questions and I found that it was more of like this place on a spectrum. And I go, Holy Spirit, yes, I, I hope that I'm doing all these things to a certain extent, but I think you have a whole lot more for me. If you've been, <clears throat> if you've been around Pentecostal or charismatic, that's what they call us Christians, believers. And by the way, before you have been around them now because you're here today. <laughs> you've probably heard the term baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh, uh-oh. You want to know why we use that term? And, I, and the uh oh is because I wrestled with this term for a while. Me and the Holy Spirit, we we had talks. We were like, I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Do you know Do you know why we use that term, baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus used it. I find that it's a pretty good rule in life. Could a pretty good rule of thumb. Whenever you're in doubt, say what Jesus said. If you're like, I don't know, is it what I Just how about you just say what Jesus said, and that's what He said. And specifically, the word baptized that Jesus used when he referred to the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.5. Remember, I already read this scripture, but I'm just calling it to your remembrance, just in case. Is baptizo in the Greek. And it means to submerge, to dip under, to immerse, or metaphorically, eloquently one, to overwhelm. It's this beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit does, and I love it. And I'm so glad that Jesus used this word. But the potential problem with this word, and not the, not the problem from the source, because Jesus is never the problem, amen? It's always us if there's a problem. Jesus is not the problem. 
But the potential problem in our interpretation of this word is that when we hear the word baptism in our culture, it's so just ingrained. Even if no one says water, we see someone getting dunked. And that's all good and fine because in water baptism, it's this public, public declaration of faith and it's, and, it, and it's a representation of the old man going down and the new man coming back up, raised to life in Christ. And that's good. And that's proper doctrine. But I got to tell you something today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something very different. And this is why. In water baptism, it's an inherent part that you go down, and you come up. But in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you were never meant to resurface. You were never meant to leave the immersion of the Holy Spirit. You're only meant to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And we get confused, I think, in this world because we just with the language and we go, oh yeah, you know, I just, you know, the Holy Spirit filled me up and then I just poured out. But your job is not to pour out. That's it. That's what he does. He pours out. We get filled. And we just happen to clank into people and splash on them a little bit. We just... We just overflow on people. We just overflow. You're never meant to go down. The Holy Spirit is never supposed to, like if you have a cup, it's never to go to the It's just supposed to be filled and filled and filled and filled and filled and overflowing on people. You walk next to people and you can't help it. Hey, I'm getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Sorry, it's gonna splash on you a little bit. You know when, when, there's, a, when there's a cup in the, in the dishwasher and you turn on the faucet and all the other dishes are they're going to get wet because that cup is just going to overflow and overflow and overflow. That's a picture of how we're supposed to interact with the Holy Spirit. Stop pouring out and start overflowing. Now, rest assured, I just want to say, if you are a believer in this place, if you believe upon Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Let me just remind you of those verses. Or you have the Holy Spirit. Remember that we are born again of the Holy Spirit and that when we are born again of the Holy Spirit, He bears witness to our sonship or our salvation. But can I ask you, are you immersed? Does He surround you? Does He overwhelm you? Are you submerged in Him at all times? Not this, not, oh, I'm out of here and then I'm just... But do you walk submerged in the Holy Spirit? completely surrounded and overwhelmed by him. John Piper says it like this. What we should seek, and this applies to all Christians, is that God pour his spirit out upon us so completely that we are filled with joy, victorious over sin, and bold to witness. And the way he brings us to that fullness are probably as varied as people are. It may come in a tumultuous experience of ecstasy and tongues. It may come through a tumultuous experience of ecstasy and no tongues. It may come through a crisis of suffering when you abandon yourself totally to God. Or it may come gradually through a steady diet of God's word and prayer and fellowship and worship and service. However it comes, our first experience of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is only the beginning of a lifelong battle to stay filled with the Holy Spirit.